for the politics of Nashville, to the history of the Upper Cumberland. This is the Backroads and Backstories podcast with Senator Paul Bailey. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Senator Paul Bailey. In today's episode, we have invited State Senator Frank Nicely of District 8, and Senator Rusty Crow of District 3, and my good friend, Senator Shane Reeves of District 14. The focus of our discussion today will be on our reactions to Governor Bill Lee's recent State of the State address and other legislative priorities this session. Before we get started, I would like to invite each guest to tell us a little bit about themselves and give us their backstory. Senator Nicely? Yes, sir. Tell us just a little bit about yourself and the good folks up in your well, district. I was born and raised in East Tennessee and in, uh, in 1988. I I'd been farming for a long time and needed to get off the farm, do something different. So I ran for office and, uh, served four years and, uh, I wasn't very popular with the Democrats back then. And I got beat and was out 12 years, came back in Oh four and spent, I've spent 12 years in the state house and eight years now in the state Senate. And I'm as bad as East Tennessee as you can get. I've got eight great granddaddies that fought in the American Revolution buried in East Tennessee, most of them in my district. My wife says that that just proves my family hasn't gone very far. <laughs> but uh, I enjoy politics. I enjoy helping people. And and we've got a great state. And I like to think that in some small way I was part of that. Well, I think you have been. So tell us just a little bit about the difference between the House and the Senate. Well, I said one time that when you go to the house, it's like going back to high school, but when you get in the Senate, it's like going to an old folks home. <laughs> <laughs> I have to wake them up and tell them a joke over in the Senate. The house was a lot more fun, but I, I get a little bit more done in the Senate. You call a commissioner, they call you back a little quicker. So you think you have more respect as being a Senator? A little. A little, res- little more a, respect? A little more respect. We also call you the Senate historian. I am. I call myself the unofficial historian. McNally calls me the official historian, but I've not seen that on paper anywhere. <laughs> Maybe we need to do a resolution calling for you to be named the official Senate historian. Well, I ran into a Sergeant Arms the other morning. He said, Senator Nicely, can I just say good morning and shake your hands without getting a history lesson? <laughs> 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 so I thought maybe I better ease up on the history a little bit. I do enjoy history, though. So, Senator Nicely, you you basically farm for a living, is that correct? Right, I do. It's uh, farming's kind of rough right now. Uh, they always said farmers go into the depression first and come out last. So I don't know what's farming right now. It, there's farm debt, farm suicides, commodity prices down. It's um, it's it's hard right now. That's why I try to help the farmers down here. And I try to take off regulations. I try to open doors, let them do more things. Uh, just like this year, one of my main bills this year will be letting the state take back over state meat inspection, take it away from the feds. We gave it to the feds back in the seventies. I don't know why we gave it to the feds, but, uh, commissioner Hatcher agrees with me. It's time to take it back. Every state to the South of it, to the South of us, they inspect their own produce and their own meat. Well, that's going to be one of my major pushes this year. You know, prior to me coming to the legislature, and of course, I I remember reading articles about uh, Frank Nicely uh, from many years ago. You've always been 
fighting for the farmer and and basically fighting to roll back regulations on farmers. And so uh, before I ever had the opportunity to meet you, I already had formed an opinion about you. But and it was a good one. So. Uh, it changed any. <laughs> Well, you know, a good example of what you just talked about was billboards. You know, you can put billboards on land that's owned commercial or industrial, but you can't put it on land zoned agriculture. Why is that? I think if someone took that Supreme Court, I'd say that's discrimination. I mean, you got one businessman who happens to be working on land that's owned commercial or industrial. That's fine. But you got another businessman, he happens to be working on land that's owned agriculture. Why can't he put a billboard on his side? These billboards are big business. They can pay off the mortgage, keep a kid in school, have some retirement. Billboards are a big business, but farmers can't, and they own all the land along the interstate, but you can't put a billboard on lands on agriculture. So that's another push. I've got a lot of pushes. You you, you do you do push, uh, and, and especially always looking out for the farmer, so we appreciate it. I look out it. for people that don't donate to me and don't know who I am and can't help me in any way. Well, that's the way we all should be. Senator Crow? Yeah. Welcome. Thank you. Proud to be here with one of the world champion equestrian people. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. My daughter's a brand new veterinarian in Knoxville and uh, a horse horse lady, and and uh, she's awful proud of you. Well, great. Well, so tell us just a little bit about uh, the time that you've served here in Nashville and the well, state legislature. Yeah. And I guess uh, McNally is probably the uh, senior, our, our speaker, and I'm the second senior. And I guess, Frank, you've got 20 years now in the legislature. Your house and your Senate together is 20. Well, I was here before you got here. That's right. You came the year I left, I think. I came in 90, 89, 90. Okay, I, I came in 88. We served two years together back then. Wow. Yeah, that's right. I remember now. Yeah, and then you came back. Now, Art Swan's been here. Yeah. He got here in 84. Huh. McNally got here in 78. But, you know, they talk about needing term limits. We don't need term limits. I mean, in the last 10 years— We've had 86 new House members and 26 new Senate members. Well, it's a whole lot different, and we're we're a citizen legislature, and so well, they starve us to death. They yeah, don't pay that's us right. anything. <laughs> they don't pay us anything. We don't do it for the money. That's for sure. You do it because you love to help people. But, but I've had kind of a, a strange beginning. I uh, I started out, I decided to run for office, and uh, I was the, the fellow that was going to run and 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 win this this Senate seat didn't file his papers properly, so. Uh, we had people that had filed on the Republican side, but nobody had filed on the Democrat side. My dad's a old bomber pilot, Bob Dornan, Howard Baker friend, bomber, bomber pilot, a Republican. My mom is is a uh, one of the old county farm Democrats, kind of like Jack Kennedy Democrats, not not the ones you see up there now that are, you know, trying to change our country into something our founders didn't intend, but. But uh, the kind of the kind of Democrat that, that Doug Henry was, it would work with us and, and and get things done. So I had to. I when I decided to run, I had to run. I, I was too late. The, the, I, I got in after the after the, the the filing deadline, and so I had to to run on the Democrat side, and I, and I, and I couldn't file, so I had to run a write-in campaign. And back then, if you got five percent of the votes cast for governor in the primary, you could then get on the ballot in November. So I got on the Democrat ballot and uh, won, uh, won that race first time in the, since the Civil War that uh, a Democrat had won up in northeast Tennessee like that. And uh, been there 30 years now. And, and your home is? Johnson City. Johnson City, Tennessee. Got Jonesboro, the oldest town, and uh, Irwin, and Elizabethan, up, up that way. Now, Senator Crow, um, one of the things that we all know about you is 
one of the most pivotal votes that you ever made in the yeah. state Senate was what? The income tax. Income it tax. actually wasn't a vote. What happened was Marsha Blackburn got with Phil Valentine and had everybody running around the Capitol, you know, demonstrating, say, we don't need an income tax. But what happened was the House, were you in, were you in the House back then, Frank? No. I was well, the House time. held the board open for how long? Hour and a half. Hour and a half and got their 50 votes. So Sunquist then came to the Senate. Sunquist calls me and says, I want to meet up in Johnson City, one of the restaurants, talk about income tax. So my secretary, Wilma, who's deceased now, Wilma said, he wants to meet with you for two hours at the House of Ribs. I said, Wilma, two hours? What, what are we going to do for two hours? Lunch for two hours? She wants to talk about the income tax. So we got in there, and I said, Don, I can't vote for an income tax. I said, it's not constitutional in Tennessee when we uh, work for someone, we have a right to be paid when we only, we only tax privileges. And the only the income tax is specified in the constitution was the hall tax, which we're doing away with now. Thank goodness. We'll have that thing gone pretty soon. And so he kept going on and on and on. And, 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 and I had been literally threatened that if I didn't pass the income tax, they would let me go. I had worked at the university for, I guess, 23 years. And, and so I looked at him. Finally, after almost an hour and a half, I looked at him and I said, Governor, when you served with George Bush like I serve with you now, and George Bush said, read my lips, and then did the opposite. I said, you're not, you didn't do what you're asking me to do. You stuck with your people and did what was right. And, and, and that was the end of it. And, and when I did that, the income tax uh, didn't go forward. And, and so, so thank goodness, you know, we had that situation. So we don't have that, that now. But I'll tell you what's interesting. We've done away with more taxes now. I mean, everything from the inheritance tax, the gift tax, the, uh, the, of course, the income tax, uh, professional, uh, all these, almost all the professional tax, the hall tax. They've taken 30% off the food tax. But the more we've taken off, and Paul, as, as chairman of commerce, you, I've heard you say this many times, the more we've taken off, the more we've ended up, like Ronald Reagan said, right. uh, trickling down to our communities and our businesses. And tell them, tell them where we are on taxes right now. Tell them where we are on revenue. Well, we are <laughs> way ahead on revenue collections based on what our projections were last year. Exactly. And so it's just yeah. unbelievable. So it's been a good thing. So, Senator Crow, it's certainly good to have you here. And, and one thing... One more thing before we go to uh, we better Senator, make sure they know I changed parties though. Senator Reeves, yes, I'm, I'm not to still make, a Democrat. So, so two things: we want to make sure that that everyone knows that that you did change parties exactly. from Democrat to Republican. Exactly. And Senator Nicely's wanting to weigh Uh-oh. in. Well, I just want to I just want to finish the story and say, down Rusty stuck. He didn't vote for income tax, and the governor did fire him after 23 years. And yeah. so Rusty had to take up another line of work. And yeah. and we need to appreciate what Rusty did. We did. I mean, that's yeah. I mean, that's pretty, and Marsha and Marsha. Uh, yeah, and, and of course, uh, just since this is a new podcast, we're trying to inform our audience, and and this is part of the the backstories that we're wanting yeah, to yeah. people to understand the backstories behind the story. Exactly. And so, and for you to be able to explain to people exactly. uh, the story yeah. about the income tax yeah. and, and especially the, there's some strange history, you know, with, with, with all these guys and gals in the, in the, in the Senate. When I, when I changed parties, I went from being the vice chairman of the democratic caucus in the same month, I became vice chairman of the Republican caucus. Now that's pretty weird, <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's, we're not like Washington D.C. We, we're we're so different. I mean, we get along with everybody, and of course, we only have five Democrats in the Senate now. But 
we get along with them and we help them if we, if we can and they help us if they can. Well, if we have a little time, we'll come back <laughs> yeah. and, and, and I believe you're adventuring into a new race, uh, the yeah, congressional race. I'm, uh, I'm going to I'm going to throw my hat in there and, and run for the congressional race, the first congressional race yeah, up in, uh, up in yeah. northeast Tennessee. So it's uh, the uh, House District 1 there and the U.S. Yeah. Congressional District 1. And that currently held by Congressman Phil Rowe. And he's retiring. He's retiring. Yeah. And yeah. so. Uh, um, so as the front runner, I'll look like a beat up punching bag in about six months. They'll be after me. Well, you know, there's one thing about it. Donald Trump, all the abuse that he's taken in the last yeah. few uh, few exactly. months, he looks very good. I hope you look the same. If he can, if he can the, take it, by gosh, I can. That's, that's right. exactly right. <laughs> well, we're going to turn now to uh, Senator Shane Reeves, who's from Murfreesboro. And uh, uh, Senator Reeves. Uh, obviously, we have been talking with some of our senior members of the Senate, uh, but this is actually your second year in uh, in the state Senate. So uh, tell the folks just a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and, and your thoughts on being uh, in the Tennessee State Senate. Thank you, Senator Bailey. I, I could have sat right here and listened to my wise uh, colleagues in the Senate all day and not said a word, to be right honest with you, but... I'm, I'm glad to be part of this. So I'm from Murfreesboro. I've got the 14th district, which is Rutherford, Bedford, Marshall, Moore, and Lincoln County. And, you know, I've spent my entire life in Rutherford County, but one of the things I have enjoyed more about being a senator than just about anything else is I've gotten to really, really know rural Tennessee. And I love my rural counties. I just love my rural counties. They've got very different issues in those rural counties than we've got in Rutherford right. County, Murfreesboro, it's exploding. I mean, Rutherford County is projecting to be the third largest county in the whole state by 2050, passing Knox and Hamilton. Wow. So it's just growing like crazy. We're building a school a year and infrastructure issues. But those rural counties have got such different issues and such, such good people. Right. Just such good people. Um, I'm, a, uh, I'm a son of Rutherford County. My, my, I'm a son of Tennessee. My family has lived in Rutherford County for 240 years. Do you know that, Senator Nicely? Wow. I don't know if I've told you that. Pretty good, Frank. 240 years. Um, I'm a seventh-generation Tennessean. My children are an eighth-generation Tennessean. My family's been practicing pharmacy in Murfreesboro since 1900, Yeah, 120 so, years. So speak about that just yeah. a little bit because you have a family pharmacy, I guess, that we was did. on the square there in we uh, did. In, Mur in Murfreesboro. That's right. And so is it still there today? No, not not the same one. I had I had a great, great uncle that started a pharmacy on the square in 1900. You know, oh, wow. the pharmacy's changed a lot in 120 it years. It was all cash back then, and you worked with the doctors, and you mixed everything. You didn't have all the big pharmaceutical companies either back then. You just made it all. And he got his son into it in the 1930s on the square, who got my dad, his nephew, into it in the 1960s. And then my dad kind of branched out on his own, who got me into it in the 1990s. And then, you know, around the 1980s, we started having – PBMs and pharmacy companies. My dad used to tell me in the 1960s, he said, you know, son, um, even in the 1980s, he said, 100% of my business was cash. 100% was cash. And he said, every single drug that was on the shelf in the pharmacy, he said, you know, you just leave it up there till it literally crumbled and fell off on the floor because you didn't have quite all the same regulations that we've got, we've got nowadays. So the most recent iteration of our business really was one that I started which was just a retail pharmacy business called Reeves Sane Drugstore in the 80s. And me and my former business partner, uh, Senator Bailey, we did everything you can imagine in pharmacy. We did medical equipment and oxygen, IVs and enteral nutrition, made some money, lost some money, You know, had some good ideas, had some lousy ideas, hired some good people, hired some not so good people. 
We've all and, been down that road. So it's 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 helped, such and a, helped a lot of people. That's right. But it's a good crucible. It's a, it's a good classroom for training for this public service job I've had. And uh, I wouldn't be sitting here. I don't know if I've told you guys this. I wouldn't be sitting here except in 2000, in November of 2017, the former senator in this seat was Jim Tracy. We right. all worked with Tracy. Who's now a USDA <laughs> commissioner of a uh, federal commissioner yeah. of agriculture. Trump appointee. Agri- Trump agriculture. Appointee. Yeah. yeah. He's over the, the rural development, which is a high for USDA in Tennessee. That's right. So he came to see me literally in October, late October, 2017 and said, I want to talk to you about doing something. He said, I'm going to take this job with the Trump administration and I want you to consider running for my state Senate seat. And I said, Tracy, I can't do that. I've got this business I'm doing. I got three kids at home. I've got all this stuff happening. And he said, well, he, he said, it's a special election. It's, it's you're never going to have an easier election in your life than a special election. If you want to do it, he said, how hard could it be? <laughs> so I talked to my wife about it and we prayed about it and I talked to my business partners about it. And I said, Tracy, how much time do I have to make a decision? He said, you got three days. Wow. Three wow. days. He wow. said, I'm announcing Friday. He came to see me on a Tuesday. <laughs> wow. So I jumped into this thing, and that was in November of 17, and it was just wide open. I had a primary in January of 18. I got elected in the general of March of 18. I haven't even been here two years. And by the time I got here in March of 18 and met you guys and found the bathrooms and the break rooms and the committee rooms, we were done. Yes. And got, got back home. You know, McNally told me this, though, when I, when I got here in uh, April of uh, – March of April of 18, I said, any advice that you could give me? And he said, two things in this special election. He said, number one, keep your head down, keep your mouth shut early on. Just listen, don't motion, don't vote. Just, 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 you know, said, if you want to know how to vote on things, look around, find senators in the room that you respect and kind of follow their lead. Well, you, he sat you beside me. He sat right next to nicely. That oh, helped a lot. You know, I, question, I, I question that. I question and that. Next to Bailey. And the second thing he said was, find an area that you can become an expert in and really, really focus on that. He said, because that will ultimately determine the bills that come your way. My friends, that has been the case. Because right. last year, health care is my background. Right. So last year, I carried some health care bills. I have had so many health care bills come my way this year. I can't hardly – I'm swimming for my life yeah, yeah. to try to slow it down. And, you know, chairman. As, as chairman of the health committee, I can, I can tell you, it's, it's funny how – you, you talk about the pharmaceutical type bills, the opioid crisis, mm-hmm. all that. It all, all this is coming, coming to us right now. I mean, the, one of the things that the governor's speech dealt with last night is the dollars we're going to be spending on behavioral health and things like that for these kids, the, gen, the new generation coming from the opioid families mm-hmm. and the and the drug drug addicted families. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to spend. It's kind of like the old Fram commercial. Uh, Senator Reeves and I were talking. You know, it used to be. It had that commercial to buy a filter for your car. If you don't, like, pay me now or pay me later. Right, you know? right. Same thing. We've got to put all these dollars, fewer dollars, as an investment to our future. We'd have to spend so much more when they when they when they're older, when they when they when they get off track. And so, but it, it goes together, doesn't it, Shane? I mean, the <clears throat> the pharmaceutical bills you carry, all that stuff. We've got to, we've got to get get that under control. We've tried real hard to get the drug drug situation under control. We've done a good job. Well, I tell you what's interesting, the uh, Prescription drug abuse is down, and so from the health committee perspective that you and I serve on, we've got that under control. But the overdoses and the deaths are up because it's now shifted to the judiciary committee, where where we now see 
people getting heroin on, and and fentanyl and uh, and and meth and cocaine meth and cocaine off the street because we've stopped them. We've we've slowed down the the right. the, the, the other the other, and so it shifted from the from from my committee over to Senator Bell's committee. Right, judiciary. Judiciary, where the judiciary. enforcement's going to have to take place. It's right. a really interesting scenario. Well, Senator Reeves, back to you real quick. So um, have you enjoyed your time? I have. I've learned that there's two words in public service. There's a service side and there's a public side. And both of those can be fun at times and both of those can be challenging at times. Exactly. But, but overall, I have, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And I feel like I've been able to make a difference uh, in some areas as a senator I never could have made as a pharmacist at least once a week. You're really able to move the dial in some area with some agency, and really make a difference in someone's life. And and for that, that's been that's been really nice. You know, you the service we give will long outlive the seat we occupy. That's a great. I can't remember who said that, but it's, it really says a lot. The service we give will long outlive the seat we occupy. Because when we when, when when we leave, somebody's going to be sitting in that seat and take it over. But the service you give is what people are going to remember. Exactly. So too. Well, uh, Senator Reeves. It, as being a freshman senator, we can certainly say that uh, you're a rising star in the state Senate, and I've certainly enjoyed uh, my friendship with you and, and certainly with Senator Nicely and Senator Crow here. Uh, they were mentors to me, and, and certainly they can be mentors to you. Well, thank you. Gentlemen, we're, uh, one of the topics today that we're going to cover is uh, the state of the state. The governor gave his proposed his budget, and the number one reason that uh, we're all meeting, the legislature meeting uh, in Nashville from January through the end of uh, April is to pass a budget, and our Constitution says that it must be balanced. So uh, I'm going to basically ask you gentlemen to jump right in as we discuss what you thought about the governor's uh, state of the state and, and his proposal, and and from there, we'll uh, just kind of have a general discussion, and uh, then we'll we'll just wrap it up with uh, kind of a lightning round, if you will, at the very end. So, uh, Senator Nicely, what was your take on Governor Lee's uh, State of the State address this past Monday night? I know you were well, listening very intently. Well, I was on the back notes. road. I couldn't hear too good, but everybody <laughs> jumping up and down. I just sat there and listened, but... Um, you know, I, I came away with a couple of things. You know, he's putting $25 million more in broadband. Now, that's a big deal out in the country. It is. It I is. Mean, it everybody's is talking about broadband, and they don't want 5G because that fries their brains. Mm. <laughs> well, well. They, won't, they won't fiber optics. And, and out in the country where I live, the governor's putting money in fiber optics. And once you get fiber optics, you don't need anything else. Well, and 5G I think, is just a step toward fiber optics. It's just right. hard for these rural communities. My, my public utility came to see me this last week, which is Duck Electric. And to do fiber optics for the huge district they've got, it's $450 million. Gosh, so that? the 25 men gets it started, but that's such a big check to, 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 to make that work. In my, in my district, I have Appalachian Electric and then I have Holston Electric. And they're both... On their way towards running fiber optics over a huge part, where they're going, they're, they're going. Every subscriber is going to have it. That's great, and and you know they're doing doing a great job. The other thing that I noticed, he's putting seven million more into the Ag Enhancement Program, which get it up to about, I think it was seven, six or seven. It gets it up to twenty-seven or eight million. And, and that's uh, been a huge benefit to our farmers over the last. It has, uh, now, and and actually, you know. That was um, one of the initiatives of uh, of Governor Bredesen, uh, that he originally started that. But uh, I think that Governor Haslam, during the Haslam years, 
definitely improved the program. But that has really, really helped our farmers all across the state of Tennessee. Well, Governor Bredesen had actually cut it from $21 million down to thirteen, and the first thing Haslam did, put it back to twenty one, And this this puts it up to about twenty eight. Right. And, you know, at first I was against it, but we put so much money in these foreign corporations like Volkswagen and Hemlock and Electrolux all across <laughs> the state, hundreds of millions of dollars. And they up and leave. These farmers aren't leaving. We, no, they're you, here. You invest that money, and, and farmers are here to stay. We better figure out how to keep our farms going. And yeah. I think one of the things he's done as well, I, I didn't see it in this budget, but I know last year he put money in there for uh, our 4-H kids, and, and he put money in there to try to figure out how to save our farms. And you know, that's important. Rick Frank's right. We've got to – I mean, think about it. If we don't have our, our dairy, our dairies – Frank, talk about – just if, if you don't mind, Paul – that scares me. Our, our situation with milk and dairies is really scary. Well, at one time, Tennessee had 10,000 dairies. We're down about 200 now, losing lose them every week. And Dean Foods went bankrupt. Borden Dairies went bankrupt. I mean, it's uh, – I don't. I really don't know what – I talked to Commissioner Hatcher. It's a bad situation. I don't know what's going to happen. We had 35 in Marshall County 15 years ago. We're down to three. Right. Exactly. I, I think we're three. all seeing that in a rural The only ones that are going to make it. Are the ones that are bottling their own milk. Now, you have a few dairies across the state that are bottling their own milk and they're making money. Uh, the federal government got involved in the milk program years ago and destroyed it. You know, we, the free, I trust the free market better than I trust the federal government. So, Senator Reeves, uh, what was your thoughts about the governor's budget presentation on Monday night? Well, first thing is it must be nice to be governor when you got an extra billion dollars. It's unbelievable. <laughs> That's right. Of cash. <laughs> must be a nice problem to have. Absolutely. I, I'm, you know, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm just sitting there and, and hearing all of the proposals and especially the uh, new limits of spending that, that exactly. he's proposing. And I'm just, I'm just really blown away. I'm just really blown. And of course, that's really just the good news is we have continued to cut taxes. We have cut taxes nearly a billion dollars over the past eight years, and yet we're still seeing surpluses. And even the governor is proposing another tax cut on the professional privilege tax this year, but we're still seeing record revenue growth in the state of Tennessee. And I think uh, especially to those of you, uh, Senator Nicely and Senator Crow, who have been here in the legislature for, for a number of years, that you've been fiscally responsible and you have allowed us to see this growth which is allowing us to be able to fund programs that have needed to be funded in in a long time but, yeah it's, it's a catch-up thing in yeah. some in some instances yeah. but but back to you senator reeves uh in regards to the budget and um you know any more thoughts and well in sure that that was my first thought is and the second thing is you know 600 million in public education i know a lot of public ed Teachers, uh, education teachers in my back door. I've already heard positive words in the last few days. They appreciate the, the cap for the forty thousand dollar for um, young teachers coming in. I mean, MTSU, which is in my back door, is a big producer of teachers. Big producer. Yes, they are. And it's down. I mean, it's down. They're they're trying desperately to get new young people to go into that program. So maybe that moves the dial yeah. in the right yeah. direction. Uh, that that was a big part of it. You know, and again, I I think mental health is a big issue in the state and. In all 95 counties, the teachers I'm talking to nowadays are talking about behavioral issues. We've got behavioral issues in jails. So I think putting money to mental health is a, is a big deal. You know, but uh, 
we need to save a little bit too, guys. Yeah, yeah. Along the way too, when we got that surplus, we need to save a little bit to make course, sure we've got it down the road. Of course, the governor, you know, he's proposing putting fifty million dollars into the rainy day fund, and and the good news is Tennessee has got a triple A bond rating from all of the rating agencies out of New York City. One of the, well, if not the best financially managed states in the nation. I mean, it's there's just so much to be thankful for for living in Tennessee. But he also is proposing putting fifty million dollars in the rainy day fund. And yep. and back to those rating agencies, they're actually saying we would like to see you have eight percent of your total state budget in a rainy day fund. And so um, obviously they're they're looking at uh, sometime there may be a downturn in the economy. Obviously, with the way the stock market's been going in the last few days. It doesn't appear that there's uh, an end in sight. So eight percent would be three point two billion. It would and be we've today. We've got one point one. Okay, we've got one point one. So we've we've got to to grow that just a little bit. But um, you mentioned something, uh, Senator Reeves, that I, I really want to go back and touch on. You know, the governor made a commitment of six hundred million dollars for K through twelve education, and basically moving the the um, pay increase for our uh, teachers from um, thirty-six to up to forty thousand dollars, which is huge, and and obviously they need that. But here here is one little issue that we see in rural counties, and 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 all four of us represent rural counties. There are those what I call certified positions in the BEP program, and then there's those non-certified positions in the BEP program. So although the uh, the governor proposes and the state legislature approves a four percent pay increase for for teachers, some of those school districts are not able to fully pass that 4% increase along to our teachers simply because uh, they, uh, they're, those uh, non what I call non-certified positions are not actually being funded through the BEP program, and the locals are actually having to make that up. So uh, sometimes it's misleading, I mean, to the public out here, uh, whenever they hear that we're giving our teachers a 4% yeah, raise. It's it, probably just best to, to put it in terms of $117 million bucks for our teachers. But, yeah. but, I, but I think that what you said is, is the great news to try to move that, that uh, beginning salary from 36 to 40. That's, that's really good. Yeah. Well, that's our, and I also would say it's not simply a rural, a, a rural issue. I mean, in Rutherford County's growing so fast. If my school superintendent was sitting here, he would tell you, I'd love to get my teachers all these raises, but I've got such capital needs and other operating expenses in my back door. I've got to put some of that too. But and and but, you said your your school system is building one new school per year. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it, because of the exploding growth, which right. is which is a huge capital expenditure for your county. That's right. And although you're having a lot of growth in your county, obviously the county is experiencing those growing pains, and they're having to expend a lot of money to basically keep up with that growth as well. That's right. So it puts a lot of pressure on the property tax, property taxes in my community, and which is a sore subject in my hometown right now. But that's that's absolutely the case. Paul, the reason we're in such great shape, seriously, is because, and we got our we got our ACU ratings the other day. Our, our American Conservative Union ratings. We have the we now, and this is a this is a scoop, guys. We now have the number one conservative Senate in the nation. Now that's that's pretty good, and, and and the reason we're in good shape is because we've concentrated heavily on lower taxes, less intrusive government and regulations, personal responsibility. We'd rather teach them to fish than give them fish. Absolutely, and faith and family. And it's almost exactly what Trump said last night in his speech. He said mm-hmm. it in different terms. But same kind of thing, Frank, isn't it? 
Well, it is. It's something we need to always, always remember. And I, I say this out when I give my little stump speeches. You know, when the Republicans took over from the Democrats, we were in pretty fair shape. The Democrats did a pretty fair job of running this state, you know, back back in the old days when Rusty was a Democrat in, in, in the old days. But now then. It didn't take me long. Most of those old Democrats, if they were alive today, they'd be Republican today. Yeah. The Republicans, the Democrats I served with back in the 80s and early 90s, if they were alive today, they'd be Republicans. They would have loved Trump's speech last night. And there's a whole new generation of Democrats out here that I, I worry about. Right. <laughs> well, you think, you, of, you think about it. We're number one in fiscal responsibility. We have the lowest taxes per capita. What is it? Per capita uh, personal income. We probably one of the best rainy day funds in the country, as you said. Absolutely. And and that was Doug Henry and, and McNally and myself back then putting ten passing legislation to make sure we put ten percent of our money into savings years ago, and then uh, this is you mentioned the balanced budget every year, the last two years we've balanced the budget with no new debt first time in recorded mm-hmm. history with no new debt and we are not borrowing any money to do any of the expenditures yeah. we're paying cash yeah. and. And, you know, I mentioned uh, at some point in time during my either my intro into the podcast or during this interview process that, uh, you know, growing up in the country, we have common sense or we exactly. were taught common sense. I sometimes think that you're born with common yeah. sense. Mm-hmm. But the common sense is, is that you uh, you you pay as you go. And that's what Tennessee is doing. When you were transportation commissioner, you made sure that we, we didn't borrow money for roads. We Paid as we go, and that's that's we we we've done that, yeah. yeah. You know, on the trail, going back to what you said, uh, Senator Crow, more and more people that uh, they say, Senator Reeves, I'm thrilled this, this state's growing. It, it's super. We've got all this economic development. But if folks are going to move in here from California and Vermont, New York, and all over the country, let's just make sure we don't lose the culture. Yeah, you mentioned we, the faith, the family, the traditions, the soul of the state. Let's not lose that. It's like my wife says; she'd rather pay a few taxes to have all these Yankees come down here. <laughs> <laughs> Just Texas, you know, and they, yeah. they have a low tolerance for Yankees. Uh, not, 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 not me. You know. Well, well, well gentlemen, uh, we're just about ready to close out on our discussion. Um, in regards to the topic of today, we were talking about the uh, governor's save the state and and his budget proposal. Uh, do any of you have any last-minute comments in regards to uh, the budget or uh, his state of the state? I guess, you know, most of us walked out of there thinking, man, that was probably the most spending we've seen in a long time. But I think what we have to understand is we haven't been able to fund some of these programs in, in a long time. And uh, I think doing it through the regular budget is probably better than doing it through pork barrel methods, like like in the old days we did a lot of, you know. If we can fund our budget and, and help with those things that we need need to help with through the through the through the the normal budget process, we're better off. Senator Nicely. Well, you know, it's I'm not smart enough to figure out how to explain it simple enough to explain to my liberal friends how you can cut taxes and have more money. <laughs> <laughs> but it I'm just, works. I'm just not smart enough, but it works. We've proven it here in Tennessee. That's what Trump's trying to do in Washington. And we've proven it that you can cut taxes and end up with more money. And uh, Chairman Watson, uh, they asked me, "Well, what do we do if we need more taxes? If we need more money?" I said, "Well, we just cut taxes again. It works every time." But uh, that's a hard thing to explain to people. 
how you can cut taxes and end up with more money. It's I'm Laffer. still working on how to explain that. Art Laffer. Laffer curve. It That's is. Exactly Art what does that is. a pretty good job, but I'm not sure he can explain it to my liberal friends. But mm-hmm. I do have liberal friends, by the way, a few of them. Not many. A few. <laughs> Linda Reeves. So for my colleagues who have been down here for a while, that have been here during challenging times, like 07 08, when we were having to cut people, back when we were having to cut people off the 10-care rolls and review years ago, it was, it, was, it was challenging times. And so I just want to make sure it's important to me that we continue to take a conservative approach to this. I mean, being a businessman for a number of years, I can tell you right now, it's a whole lot easier to have money a little money left over at the end of your month as opposed to having a lot of months left over at the end of your money. Absolutely. And I've been there. And it's no fun. And we don't need to do that as a state. So let's just make sure we're being conservative and thoughtful and saving some along the way because it's going to rain someday and we need to be ready for it. Yeah. we None of us ever want to see a slowdown in the economy, but we have seen record growth for many years now. And so at some point in time, you know, uh, there may be a slowdown, but uh, so we've got to be prepared for that. But at the same time, we've got to take care of Tennesseans. Well, gentlemen, thank you, Senator Nicely, Senator Crow, Senator Reeves. For oh, joining. Let, me, let me say how nice it is. We always enjoy coming to your office because it's it's like, and just to describe it to people, we've got it's like a tack room. You know, <laughs> you come in, you got horse horses on the wall, and it looks you know you got the the, the cowboy furniture and. And uh, it's just a friendly place to be. And we see you see Ronald Reagan on a horse, and I love what Frank said about about Reagan. Uh, so they said they said he, he how do he keep uh, so young? Well, they asked him how he kept looking so young. He said, "Well, I just keep riding an older horse." <laughs> <laughs> but that's what you get when you're in Paul Bailey's office. Absolutely. Well, my goal as far as uh, and and this is the um, the people's office, but my goal was when when we. Uh, um, when I was elected senator, I wanted a warm, friendly, inviting atmosphere when they came to my office. And so, uh, and then of course I've just added a little country flair to it and a little Western flair to it. But again, uh, Senator Nicely, Senator Crow, Senator Reeves, thank you so much for joining us on the Backroads and Backstories podcast. This is Senator Paul Bailey. Thank you for listening to the Backroads and Backstories podcast with Senator Paul Bailey. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at backroadsandbackstories.com. And subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are distributed. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Backroads and Backstories podcast.